coming to the base workshop. We didn't even have one of these last year. We've had them in years past, but I'm glad we have people here with us. So welcome. Um, I would love to meet all of you, but I, I think I better get to the stuff and maybe I can meet you later. I want to introduce to you Rod Mendoza here, who I've asked to join me and help me teach this. Um, I have a lot of respect for Rod. Rod, actually, he's, he's not living here now, but he used to live here. He went through our school worship. He graduated. He was my intern after that. Um, but he's a very accomplished bass player. He um, plays in the Desperation Band. He's been playing with them for six years. Um, he toured with Jared Anderson, Carrie Job, and Meredith Andrews. Those are the, kind of the major ones. He's done a lot. He's a humble guy. He would not tell you those things, but I'm telling you. He's a great bass player, so I, he's kind of going to be the hands-on guy today, and he's got a lot to share as well that I think will be helpful. And so I'll kind of be big picture stuff, and he'll, he'll hone in on some of the things more specifically. So let me just pray before we start. Father, thank you for this conference. Lord, thank you for the people attending, Lord, our, our friends, Lord. I thank you for the people in this class with me, Lord. I, I just pray your blessing on them, Lord, and that they would get everything you want them to get out of this and all of the other workshops, um, general sessions and experiences and even meetings that they have, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray for your will in their lives. I pray for your provision and I pray for health and life and strength for them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I said this was gonna change colors and I, maybe it won't this time, but that's okay. Um, okay, so let's, let's just start with some big picture stuff, like God's role in this. You know, we're here talking about bass, and you're going to hear about bass specifically, but I would be remiss if I didn't share this side of it to you. Psalm 139, 23, you're probably all familiar with this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way that's in me, and lead me in the way to life everlasting. And so... We are, God is, he, we're asking him to search our heart, and he is, he's searching us. Um, but we have to listen. That's the first thing. I, I don't care what instrument we're playing or if we're singing, we've got to listen. We've got to hear from him. And a big part of our role is perspective. We have to, we've got to be able to see the bigger picture when we're approaching worship bass playing, in my opinion. Um, the only way... Um, we can have the right perspective is not to view um, the stage or the platform. We don't have one in here, um, but you've seen them all over the churches, everywhere you've been. We can't look at it as a stage. We've got to look at it as an altar. That's the first thing. It's not, to me, it's not a stage. It's not a platform. I might say that word, but I'm viewing it as an altar. It's, it's where I'm bringing a sacrifice to God, and I'm I'm, I'm serving him, and I don't need to be singing to be leading worship. I'm leading from my instrument. Uh, and bass, the reason I love teaching this kind of workshop is bass is my favorite instrument. Maybe that's the case for you guys who are here, and Becca. Becca's great, by the way. I had a lot of, she plays on our team, and she doesn't want, probably want to be embarrassed, but um, I've also done some production with her, her group, 
um, sunflowers, and she's an amazing bass player, so she could be teaching this as well, but she's humbly here in this class. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it that way, and I, I want the perspective to be right. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of a worship leader, whether I'm, I have the responsibility to lead the service or whether I'm playing the bass. So I'm seeing it as an altar. And so we've got to have the right motivation for doing what we're doing. I mean, it, the, the wrong motivation is, and I've heard the things I'm bringing up, I've heard before, you know, well, that's what I do. I'm a bass player, you know. Well, no, I would I would say no. You're a, a a son or a daughter of God who plays bass. You know, the, our identity can't be wrapped up in the instrument. Um, but we have to have the right motivation. It can't be well. This is a hobby, and I want to do it. Or or even this is a gift from God, and I need to use it. Now that's important. That that's true. But the primary motivation we need to have is serving. We have to be serving one another and bass playing you, you guys know bass bass playing doesn't get any glory you know i don't know if you've noticed that um rod and i are the same when we were kids we wanted to be bass players and we were just talking about this yeah. a minute ago part of it is everybody in the neighborhood wanted to play electric guitar or drums and we knew we were even at, as young kids we were smart enough to know that if you pick the instrument that nobody else picks, you'll always have bands to play in. There'll always be work for you to do. And so the bass is that instrument. But I'm telling you, when, we, when I did things where I was playing um, not in the church, or playing in clubs and things like that back in the day, way, way back in the day, nobody comes up, maybe a couple people who are bass players will come up <laughs> and talk to a bass player. Everybody wants to talk to the drummer, the lead singer, electric guitar player, those are the people that get all the glory. Now, in local church ministry, none of them are supposed to get any of the glory. I remember traveling to Malaysia, and we, we played at a worship conference there and taught workshops there. I did a bass workshop, and I remember it was, there was like 50 people in this bass workshop, and all they wanted to do was, they said, can you teach us how to play funk bass, slap bass? <laughs> I haven't done that in years, and it really doesn't fit in our context, but that's all, all they wanted to do. Um, but the, the thing is, it was crazy. You know, you're in another country, and people were going up to people asking for autographs. Now, fortunately, I was playing bass, and nobody wants my <laughs> autograph. Praise the Lord, because then I'm not a stumbling block, or I'm not getting puffed up, or anything like that. So, so that's a little funny side note, but the point is, the bass is a servant role. It's built in that way, you know. Maybe it's because people say, your job's easy. You only play one note at a time, you know, <laughs> unless you play a chord once in a while, you know. So, but most of the time, yeah, I'm playing one note, but it's not as easy as you think. <laughs> well, I'm a guitar player, so I can play bass as good as you can. You know, I heard that one before, too. So, you know, and some guitar players just naturally can, but most of them can, probably. <laughs> anyway, the point is, it's a, it's a, it's a servant role, and so... You're already in the right place. You already probably have a better perspective than, than you could have. And so I, I want to open it up with that. And then I'm going to turn it over to Rod for a few minutes, and he's going to help you with some functions of the bass in worship, because this is about bass in the context of local church worship. Yeah. Um, so a couple of these things are just things that I've learned. When I first started playing bass, I did not have this mentality at all. My my, when I went into playing worship, 
was very much to be exactly like Blink-182, and that's what I grew up with. And those of you who know Blink-182 know how bad that is to take that into the worship context. But that's what I wanted. So the Lord really had a breaking of that, which I'm so and, and humbled that he did. But so these are some things that I've kind of seen and heard um, and seen from, you know, bass mentors such as Funny, uh, some other guys too, bass in worship. So um, we have two basic primary function, necessary functions um, in worship. One is the rhythmic foundation. And the second one is our harmonic foundation. And so um, every now and then with Desperation Band, we'll get to do some of these little um, like teaching moments. And it doesn't happen very often. But when we do, um, that's always something that's very surprising to bass players um, when, when I say those two, two things. It's, it's almost like we know that, but we don't really think about that. So when we start thinking in this context, it really, I feel like, changes and shapes our playing. Um, to know what our role is. So the rhythmic foundation is, in D-Band, in Desperation Band, we often think of, um, of the worship team as a, as a body, um, with the worship leader as the head who casts you know, the vision and direction for, for the worship team and kind of where we're going, and the drummer as the legs, the drummer who will take us there. Um, and many of you know that you know, where the drummer goes, the band will go automatically. Um, so then I'd like to think of the bass player as the feet who kind of aids in the rhythm to take, you know, to take, to go with the band. Um, and so, so we kind of, we kind of think of it of like that as this, as this body. Um, so the second thing, uh, excuse me, so to go along with that, the rhythmic foundation, it's really important for us as bass players to be sharp on our rhythm. Um, when we talk about rhythmic foundation, we're talking about our subdivisions, um, being sharp in that. And we'll get, we'll get more into that as, as we talk about playing, uh, you know, tips on playing metronome, things like that. We'll get more into that in depth in that. And then the second thing was our harmonic foundation. Um, you know, a major part of the bass is supporting the harmony. When we hear several notes played at the same time, we hear them all relative to the lowest bass note. And so, um, so a lot of times, especially for singers, they're really reliant on making sure that we're playing the, the right parts, the right notes. Um, so those are basically the two main foundations that we have in, in bass and worship. All right, and I want to talk about this next thing. This is this is. Context also, this is very important for bass players, important for every musician to know. Um, but this is the 100% rule. How many of you have learned about this or already know about this? Would there be another? Okay, with every head bowed and every eye closed. <laughs> lift your hand. No, we've all been in those. Um, okay, this is the 100% rule. Basically, the idea, here's a, a pie chart, the idea behind this thing is that this is a song, this pie is a song, okay? And there are different percentages for each instrument. Now these, I'm not saying the bass is all, you know, this color is terrible so I can't even see it, but the bass would be, in this case, 18%. I'm not saying that's what the bass always is sonically. We're talking about sonic space here. And there's only 100% of sonic space in each song. In this particular case, the drums, that's not free. That, the 10% is free. The drums are 32%. This is just an example. The bass is 18%. The acoustics, 9%. 13% um, goes to the keys, and another 19% for the electric, and then 10% is free. So this is just an example of a song. 
Um, one of the biggest problems with worship musicians in general that I've seen, I'm older, so I've seen a lot of things like that, um, is people play too much. And a lot of times it's the drummer or the guitar player that I w would like to pick on, but sometimes it's the bass player too. Everybody's playing 100% all the time, and then it sounds like mud to me. You know, it's just, it, and people blame it on the sound. Now, well, if we had, you know, a full-time sound guy, we, we would sound better, but that's not true. It could be the best sound guy. But if everybody's playing too many notes, um, it's gonna be bad. It's just, it's never gonna sound good. And so these percentages will vary based on the particular song. They'll even vary um, based on the style of music, or they will vary based on a section of a song. Like you might get to a bridge where everything comes down, the percentages all change. The bass drops out, uh, maybe there's just keys in there, so that's occupying most of the space. You get the idea. Um, there's only 100%, and you need to function, especially as bass players, recognizing that. You know, in, in jazz, and Rod's got some experience with jazz, he can talk about it, you cannot survive as a jazz musician if you're not listening to everyone. It's a com conversation, and I would propose to you that worship music should be that as well. In jazz, you know, one person's saying something on their instrument, they're not all saying it at the same time, and then someone else answers it with something else. Maybe the electric guitar does something, maybe the upright bass does something, and so on. But you can't, you won't be a jazz musician very long if you're not listening. Rod will talk more about that later, but that all falls into this 100% rule, we have to listen. I've had musicians in bands who, you know, kind of brag to me that, you know, I only have um, the drums and the lead singer, the worship leader in my monitors, you know, and myself, of course. And, and I'm saying, no, you need to have everyone in there. You need to be listening to everybody so you can know where the 100% is, where is the sonic space, where is there room for you to do more? And um, as a bass player, we don't want to be that person that's always throwing in our best licks all the time. Um, it's like, this is, this is not a, a scientific thing. Uh, you can use another example like uh, a parking lot. You don't want to have, you know, you've got parking spaces. That's, the parking lot is the song. And, and just real briefly, you've got people in spaces. If I want to come here, I got to pick one of these open spaces. I can't park on top of the person in that space. You can see that when people do that, this happens all too often in local church ministry, and I'm not talking about the parking lot, I'm talking about <laughs> on the altar, or on the platform, it's happening where people are doing that. That's what it looks like. It, it looks like this too, sometimes, you know? It, it's, it, it's, it's a crash, it's an accident, you know? So, so we, we've gotta be able to think that way. So listening uh, is a huge part of that. Um, and Rod, you feel free to interject anywhere you want um, before your next segment, so don't feel you gotta wait. Um, Okay, let's talk about tone a little bit. Tone is really important. Um, one of the biggest problems that I see, and a lot of my context obviously is here, not just Sunday morning, but I'm, I'm always walking around, I'm looking at the, the middle school band and looking at the band that play, my daughter plays in the band that plays for the fifth and sixth graders, and I'm going in and checking out those other bands, and I have many times recruited from those bands. I'll hear somebody and I'll, like just recently I, I added a, an electric guitar player 
um, to our band who um, for years has served um, throughout the campus. He's mostly played in prayer meetings over in the World Prayer Center, but he's also done a lot for uh, the high school group. And I'm, I'm coming in and checking these people out, and um, I finally went to him and said, would you ever consider playing on Sunday morning? And he said, I would love to, but he, he it really impressed me. He never asked me. He's just happy to serve wherever he's needed. So it, we ended up bringing him in, and, and that was great. But what I see amongst um, especially the younger musicians is even bass players, which is surprising. I guess it's not too surprising because I used to be like this, but they have a lot of pedals. You don't need a lot of pedals for the bass. You know, yeah, there are times when there could be, you know, a nuance. For me, I'm using this all the time. Now, my bass is, this one works so well on Rod. Rod's got an active bass and mine's passive. Uh, mine's an old um, jazz bass. And so, this kind of a, it's kind of like an amp modeler, Ampeg, um, like an SBT amp, but I use this on my passive bass, and I'm just putting in a little bit of overdrive in it. And you, would you wouldn't even notice it in the mix. You, it just helps it settle in, this passive bass settle into the mix better. Now, I'm a recording guy, so I think in terms of mix and how it can sound good, um, but this is the only two pedals I need. Now, you know, once in a while I've brought in my volume pedal. That was a good thing, but that's not really, it's not changing any tone or anything. I keep it simple. So that thing's running all the time. Once in a while I had another pedal that was a heavy overdrive. It was just for one part of a song. Um, but I get, I get people coming in and they've just got this, it's a bass player with a huge pedal board. And I'm thinking, why do you need all those pedals for, for this? You know, maybe they're really smart and they know exactly when to use them. That's cool, but the more things you go through, you know, you are you are interrupting and adding noise to your signal. So, so I like to keep it simple. I feel like um, you start with the basics, so to speak. I mean, you got to have a decent bass, and, and but the amp really is not the amp in a church is not really for the the, the congregation. It's really for you to have some feel, as you know. Um, if you crank your amp up too loud, only some people in the congregation are gonna hear you because they're not gonna put you up in the house or through the subs because you're too loud, but only the people that, that are in the throw of the amp are actually gonna really hear it. So you've gotta get good tone without the amp. Um, it's great if you've got an amp and you can, you're recording, you can mic that too, I do that as well. Um, did that with Becca when she was in the studio. Um, but yeah, I've got those two things. And, but in Rod's case, he may not be, he may not be doing that. He, he's got his Sans amp, so he's got settings on it that work for his active bass. And he does not overuse it, you know, so it's, it's a different thing. Do you have anything you want to add about that? Yeah, so <clears throat> even when we're on the, on the road with D-Ban, I will only always, I'll always only, that makes sense. I'll always only use my tuner and my sans amp. And the reason why I have a sans amp is one, just in case the venue we're playing at or the church we're playing at doesn't have an active DI, then I can always use my sans amp running out of there. And that's helped me in the past. Before, I was just so reliant on the places, the churches that we were going to, that sometimes we'd get to a place and they wouldn't have what I needed. Um, so now I've just, I've just learned to, okay, I'll, I'll always have this. And then I've got it really just working. The nice thing about, about my bass, my Lakeland, is, um, is it already has great tone. Um, 
and and the sans amp really just allows me just to tweak it just a little bit more. Let's say I haven't changed my strings in a really long time, then I can always boost my presence on my sans amp and it'll help me in, in that area um, to get just cleaner sound and a bit, bit brighter sound. Um, and then I, there's three channels on this on the sans amp and to tell you the truth, I only use two and 97% of the time I'm using one. Um, the second one, we have a couple songs that I just put the slightest bit of drive on my bass just to, like Felina was saying, just to cut through the mix just a little bit better. And then I take it right off and I switch back to what I'm normally using. So it's not something that I'm always using. I feel like in our music and in our arena, in our context of what we're doing, as far as bass playing is concerned, we're not called to be out in front of you know what's going on. We're really complementing everything else that's happening sonically. Um, and so, I mean, I'm sure most of you all know this, but really tone is, is found in the fingers. Um, and we'll talk about this uh, in a little bit, but there's a couple things that you really want to get um, out of your tone. You're, you're really trying to get good, clean tone, good, clear um, clarity out of the bass when you're playing. So you want to avoid um, you know, unwanted fret buzzing. Um, and so a lot of that really depends on your, the setup of your bass, if, you're, if your strings are really low. Um, on my Lakeland, I have my strings set pretty well. They're, it's pretty low, but for me, it works, it works great. Um, when other bass players use it, it's, it's kind of hard for them because they're not used to the setup, so it's pretty low. But I like it, it just works for me. Um, and so, so anyway, so helping, the, making sure that your bass is set up correctly is a, is a big thing. Um, unwanted, you want to avoid the buzzing. Um, you want to avoid like unwanted muffled notes, um, muted notes. There's a couple times we will do that. Um, like in Strong God, on the, on the New Life record, Fellini does, he's kind of muting, he's kind of palm muting the, uh, the notes that he's going with. And, um, right, is that what you're doing? You're palm yeah, so he's playing with his thumb, um, which is a really cool technique, and he's kind of just muting him down at the bridge, down, muting the string down there, um, which that, that works great in that context. If you're gonna mute the strings every time, then you're gonna get, you're gonna get some unwanted muffles and your bass isn't gonna sound as clean and it's not gonna peek through the, the mix as well. Um, a lot of times, especially with this bass, because it is active, um, there'll be times where, where I'll be playing something or I'll be on a different string and I won't be covering my, my low B string and all of a sudden I'll just start to hear it kind of coming through the mix and then I have to remember, oh, I gotta cover my low B. So a lot of times, for those of you who play five string bass, um, it's nice to when you're playing on, di on different strings to really make sure your thumb is there on the on that low on that low B. Otherwise, it will it just peeks through the mix. It really wants to be heard, um, especially on active basses. So so that's another thing. Um, unintentional harmonics, um, and then uh, ac accidentally produced extraneous noise, such as like sliding on your fingers and sliding on the strings. Um, you hear that a lot, especially when you change strings and you have brand new strings, that you hear that a lot more of the sliding of the strings. Um, you really want to try, try and avoid that as, as much as you can. Um, yeah, do you want to go into timing? Yeah, well, tell, just talk a little bit more about, I love what you said when you are talking about tone is in the fingers. Yeah. I, I know, I remember a guy many years ago whose bass tone was terrible. 
And so I always try to be honest with people in a loving way, speak the truth in love. And I just said, you know, your tone leaves something to be desired. And, and so he was really gracious about it. And he says, well, you know, what, what should I get? You know, I've had this bass for years. And, you know, I didn't start out as a bass player. I played with these other instruments. And, and so I actually recommended exactly a bass like Rod's, a Lakeland bass. And, and he got it. This is so many years ago, but um, they were making them. He got it, and he, still, he sounded the same on that as he did on the Ibanez bass. Or maybe it wasn't Ibanez, it was, uh, no, it was like a, a, um, a Sears catalog or something. It was, it was a different kind of bass. And, um, so, but, he, but it was amazing to me because that's the first bass I had came out of a catalog like that. And it sounded the same because of the way he was striking the strings was the issue in his case. So we could have given him any bass, and his technique was bad. And we'll talk more about that. But mm-hmm. yeah, you said that that reminded me of all that. Yeah. So this um, I've had this bass maybe five years, I think, um, per Fellini's recommendation as well. And um, and and before that, I had a, I had a P bass, but. Um, so when I went to this active bass, it, it really showed me, wow, my intensity for my fingers is way different. Yeah. I, I'm striking a lot harder with my index than I am with my middle. So what I really had to do, honestly, was there's a, there was a couple things, but um, one was practicing with headphones. I had this, at the time, this little mini, like, rogue um, practice app in my, in my apartment. And so I would just put my headphones on and just sit and listen to what I was playing, which sounds really boring. Um, but but I had to do it because I was it was so bad. Um, like I really noticed it when I picked up an active bass. Um, but I mean I would I would play and it would just be it would be so strong with my index finger and then once I my my middle finger came in it was it was like so dead. And I had people tell me about it. So then that was even more embarrassing. So then I had just I had to just really lock myself kind of in my room and and go through. And then the second thing I did was record myself playing, which that helped a ton. Um, just recording my playing and kind of listening to how each note sounds. Um, so recording, like going through, um, playing with a metronome was like was a really big thing, and really just practice the intensity. Um, when I when I was in high school, I learned how to play with three fingers, um, which I don't use a ton, just because I feel like my ring finger isn't at the place where I want it to be as far as intensity. Um, but it was an alternating like index middle ring middle index ring uh, index middle ring middle um, type of deal. We had to do this for one specific song, and I wasn't fast enough with two fingers, so I figured out how to do three. Um, but I don't really use it anymore. So now I'm just I mean I've gotten to the point now where I I know that every time I play, each note is going to be struck with the same intensity with each finger with each individual finger. Um, so those are some things to really think about, um, especially if, if you're going to wanting to go into the venue of recording um, or being on projects or church projects, things like that. Really practice those because those little things make a big difference in the long run. When you go down into recording and when you have to overdub things and those little things, the you know, 15, 20 minutes you practiced every day just listening to the intensity of your playing. Those are the things that make like world's difference, I feel. Uh, I would agree 100%. Uh, let's talk about timing. Um, I found that um, most bass players, this is a generalization, so 
forgive me if this not always true, um, who don't practice with a metronome or a click um, believe they have a tremendous internal clock, meaning they don't need to practice with a metronome. And, and I have found this generally to be untrue. Um, and I've heard a lot of explanations from people through the years. Um, does everybody know what a metronome is here? Okay, for those of you that don't, I just want to dispel any misconceptions that a metronome is not a short little guy who dresses nice. Okay? You know? Okay, that's an original joke. I made it up. I hear that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'll be here all week. I really will. Um, okay, so, but I'm always looking for bass players and looking to myself to have great time to, to do that. And that, that's my saying, which is a little cliche, but you never practice alone. Practice with a metronome. Yes, Rod remembers that from the yeah. school of worship. And uh, so it's really important. Um, you end up playing the way you practice. And it's important. It, it, seems, it seems boring to practice to metronome. My daughter, I, I just mentioned that she plays for the fifth and sixth grade band. She's at a level now where I know she could play Sunday morning, but we don't have room for her at this point. But that's something I drove into her from the beginning. She plays keys and bass, and she's learning guitar now too. But everything she does is with this metronome. Um, we've lost the back of it. I brought this from home. I, when I want to use it, I have to go borrow it from her because she takes it. <laughs> and I'm hearing her. She played um, keys last Sunday, and she's just for two days. She's practicing everything with the metronome. She's dialing in what the tempo is, and she's doing the same thing with the bass every time. So when she gets in there, she's played with Hindi before, and Hindi is blown away by her playing and her timing because she just locks in, and it's because I made her do this from the very beginning, and you know she's six or seventeen now, and she's mm -hmm. she's she's stuck with it. It really does make a difference. Rod, talk to us more about the, the metronome. That's awesome. Yeah, no, the metronome. I mean, I I feel like yeah, you covered everything, but um, I'm just so proud of Preem. That's so awesome. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, the metronome really just helps you keep a steady pace. Learns to keep a steady pace, much like a drum machine. Um, when I didn't, I didn't have a metronome for a long time, but so on my Mac, I would just set up a drum machine in um, GarageBand and then just drag it for bars and bars and bars and bars and bars. Because the metronome on GarageBand, with well, the old GarageBand way back in the day, you couldn't really adjust the volume of it. It was just piercing at all times. So with the, with the drum track, you could at least mess with that. Yeah, it was terrible. So, so I, just, I did a drum track, which you know, might help some of you if you don't have a metronome. Um, but yeah, keeping a steady beat is so critical for, for bass players as, as we um, basically go along with, with the drummer um, as far as the rhythm's concerned. Um, that is so huge, especially when you start playing with drummers, locking in with the drums. Metronome will help you so much to learn subdivision, um, to kind of go through at like, I don't know if we're there yet, just with scales. Yeah, we're only, we're about there. So. We're about there. Okay, <laughs> but um, a big thing to do is is how many of y'all like know your scales? You know, like your pentatonic. How many? Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. Yeah, arms. cool. <laughs> Just not on bass. Okay, guitar, keys. keys. Nice. Okay. Percussion. Percussion. Cool. Cool. That's great. That's awesome. 
Yeah, so on bass, um, I mean, it's it's exactly like it would be for a guitar, um, except obviously we only have four strings or five if you're playing five, but um, you really want to dial those, those scales in. Um, those scales will help you immensely, and there are so many variations to scales, um, but just even learning the major pentatonic scales in every key is so huge. Um, Flynn can tell you that that, that that you said that that's the main one that you learned. Oh yeah, that's that's, that's my favorite. And, yeah. And just practicing it, and Rod can demonstrate some of this, but um, practicing it at different speeds. So I'm doing, uh, I love the major pentatonic scale, but you can yeah. use, Rod's got tons of scales he can talk to you about, but um, I'm doing it slow and I'm doing it medium speed and I'm doing it fast and all with the metronome and then I'm doing the different patterns up the neck of that scale and I'm just getting used to it and I'm and and, and I, I know I've done this a lot with um, the Olympics when the Olympics are on I'll have this I love the Olympics winter or summer and I'll have this and I'll have uh, little in-ears and I'll have one just one in I'm watching the Olympics and I'm doing scales <laughs> while I'm watching and hearing the metronome I've changed the speed and I'm watching the swimmers and doing all that kind of thing <laughs> the same thing um, Rod was talking about you know your two he, he played with three but mostly does two you know one one finger as he was saying is more dominant or stronger than the other one so like he said you've got to get used to that, but I'll do that with the metronome at different speeds. So I'm, and I'm listening for the intensity and how loud the notes are. So it, yeah. it, it's helpful. Yeah. But I love the pentatonic scale. Yeah. Um, as, as much as, or as boring as it could be learning, how many of y'all know your notes? Like, you know every note on your bass from like, starting your first fret to your 12th fret. Yeah, cool. That's so, that is so huge. Um, it, it allows you to be able to change if you're if you're wanting to do something uh, high up the neck, and we'll kind of get to where we play on the bass and why we play there on the bass at certain points in a song. Um, we'll talk about that. But learning every note on the bass is so huge. So learning your scales in that is just goes along with it, and it helps you to learn. Um, so there's a thing that that I got. Um, how do you know Jackal Pastorius? Yeah, yeah, awesome, cool. So there's this there's this thing that he did, it's an arpeggio arpe arpeggio scale. And basically you just start at the lowest note and you end up at the highest note that you can. So you're working from your lowest point on your bass, and so I'll demonstrate for like if it's a four string um, bass, and we'll just say like in G. So your arpeggio, uh, an arpeggio is basically your, your one three five of of your chord. Um, so in G, uh, we've got our, our G. So you basically go G, B, D, G, B, D, you know, from starting from here and ending up here at your 12th fret of your, of your G string. Um, so it's a huge, it was, it's super huge for me when I first started playing um, because it allowed me to really learn all of the notes on my bass. Um, and it's a fun, it was a f super fun tool, as was like the, the pentatonic scale for Fellini. Um, so, so just doing that, you just, you basically just go G, slide up to your your B your B on your uh, seventh fret of your E string then you drop to the fifth fret of your A string okay and then you'd slide up to the tenth fret on that G of your A string and so you're when doing this you're really using every finger that that you have at your disposal to go through and learn um, and learn this arpeggio 
excuse me, sorry, you'd go, so, the G, third fret of your E string, seventh fret of your E string, which is the B, then you drop to the fifth fret of your A string, that D, and then you drop to the fifth fret of your D string, which is the G, and I'm sorry if I'm going real fast, but can I explain this after, and um, a little slower, but then you'd slide up to your B, your ninth fret of your uh, D string, and then, um, and then you drop down to the D, seventh fret of your G string, and then you metronome you get good at it you're good in uh, you're good at alternating your fingers with that um, then what you do is you take it up half a fret um, one step up and then you play in that key so it was super that was super helpful for me to learn notes and then also practicing with the metronome um, to do that so yeah they're they're important um, I once heard a saying put a lot of miles on the treads you know it sounds like tires but we as bass players, we, we, we got to practice a lot. We got to put a lot of miles, I guess, on the strings. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to put it any other way. And uh, there, to me, there's a big difference between practicing and rehearsing. To me, they're two different things. And um, when we rehearse, we do that together in the band or at worship practice on Thursday nights. Um, that's rehearsal. Practice is what we do on our own. Um, I, I'll give you. Two examples, two people. Um, one guy we'll call, um, well, well, I'll tell you his name, Don, Don Harris. He's, he's kind of a bass hero to us. Anybody heard of Don Harris? Becca? Anyway, he's, 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 he is a legitimate session studio bass player. Um, and he, he's the guy that told me to put a lot of miles on the treads, and he, he was, the best bass player I knew personally that I've ever met. Um, and he was constantly practicing. He, he was playing on all these big projects and, and he's, a, he's a published guy, and, but he's constantly practicing. Then I had another guy, we'll call him Jim, uh, nicknamed Jimbo. And he was in our worship team, this is a real person, and he was bragging to the rest of the team, saying, well, I'm so good that I don't, I don't need to practice. He says, I just show up at rehearsal and I, you know, I know it. And that went around the worship team. This is several years ago. And it got to me somehow. <laughs> and I am not going to just sit there and let that fester in the worship team. I'm going to go address it and, and tell him the practice and rehearsal are two different things. You've got to be a good steward of, of your talent, your ability. And you're wasting our time when you come with an attitude that you're so good that you just um, show up and play. And I think that, I've seen it with more than just that one guy. That mentality happens a lot of times when you have um, no, you don't have much vision or you, you're not seeing what you're doing in the, in the worship team as important. It's more like, it's just a church band, you know, I'm more than good enough for that, you know, so I'm good. And that really isn't, that, back to the perspective I was talking about at the very beginning, we gotta look at this, this is a holy and high calling where we're helping bring people to the feet of Jesus. We're helping prepare the atmosphere for God to move and then we get out of the way. And so we wanna practice as much as, as we can. Psalm 33.3, it says play skillfully. Well, for me, the main reason we need to play skillfully is so we can help facilitate worship without 
distraction. We don't want to distract people with wrong notes. And we need to practice. What Rod's talking about is important. You, we have to be putting in the time to do it. None of us have arrived. Even Don, who is so good, he's just light years ahead of me. And Rod, too. Um, he still practices. He's always practicing. He, he never thinks he's arrived. And that's, that's the kind of attitude that we've got to have. Um, which brings me into a little more on attitude. We gotta have teachable attitudes as bass players. Um, we gotta be able to take direction without taking it personal. Um, we cannot confuse, like I said earlier, who we are with what we do. I'm a bass player, no. You know, I'm a child of God who plays bass. If, I, if my identity is in my musicianship, I can't take any kind of criticism or critique to my playing. And so um, we have to be able to receive that and when um, when someone tells us that you know we need to work on something, we take it humbly and we, we actually work on it. Um, Humility is foundational here, and like I said earlier, bass players you know don't get any glory anyway, so it's pretty easy for us to, to do it. Yeah, get, get used to it. Um, okay, so Rod talked about um, some technique stuff already. He's talking about um, the right hand and. Um, you know, being even with the notes, but also we don't want to be too too hard, playing too hard. You know, that he was talking about string buzzing and rattling, you know, the action he brought up that's important and also the intensity that you're playing with. Now, there are times where you can dig in more um, and there's times where you're soft. There's dynamics, you gotta have dynamics. We, we're not just like a machine, we just play the same the whole way on the bass. Same with any other instrument, with drums, percussion. You're not, it's not exactly the same. Um, there's dynamics where you know, sometimes you're softer, you're lower, sometimes you're medium, sometimes you're, you're more intense in what you're doing. Um, but that's important. Uh, right hand, you definitely want to use more than one finger. Um, uh, same with the left hand, you, you've got to use, you've got your thumb on the back of the neck, but you've got to use these four fingers like Rod was talking about. And it's important to, to kind of know the notes on the neck to be able to kind of live in one area. So you're not constantly here, 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 all over the place with notes. If you can kind of put it all in one area, and Rod, you might want to add on to this, where you're just kind of going up and down the neck and you're, you just kind of keep one form, one shape, and you're kind of moving up and down, yeah. that's, that's gonna be the smoothest. I remember having a guy audition for me on bass, and he played all three songs with one finger on his right hand and one finger on his left hand, the whole thing. So he was all <laughs> over the place, and at the end, he did not get in the band, and I told him why. I was very honest. I said, you really need to utilize all of your left hand fingers, and and at least two on your right hand, <laughs> he looked at me like bewildered. He was, he didn't get it. It was like, what, what? You know, it's like he didn't, he had never thought of that before, but the whole thing was like that the whole time. Wow. It was really fun to watch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I felt bad for him. And uh, Rod, I mean. Yeah, I think um, going back to the pen major pentatonic scale, mm -hmm. that is a good one to know. That is a good one to learn because you are in your pentatonic scale. You're in the you're in the same position doing the the, set, the scale, and you're using every finger. Well, except no, yeah, you use every finger in this scale. You go from your middle, 
index, your pinky, your index, your pinky, your index, your ring. So that's a really great scale to use. Um, doing that up and down the neck is huge. Doing it in every key is huge. So that way you learn the notes, but you're also building strength in both hands. You're building strength in your left hand which a lot of times I always see bass players who don't use their pinky. Yes. Um, which I totally get, I totally understand. Like it is, it is hard, especially if you're, if you're moving around a lot. I get it's hard, but you want to. You want to be able to use everything at your disposal that you have um, and making sure it sounds good. And yeah, so just like Fellini was saying about playing hard, um, I know on my bass, because the way it's set up, if I want to play hard, I can't play hard down here at the neck. to me using the pinky too because you're doing that all the time you're just naturally going to use those fingers so it really helped me the other thing is don't clamp down too hard with your left hand you you can easily even on a bass pull notes sharp um, and I remember as a younger bass player I did that a lot but I did it because I was kind of looking at string players and they were doing the you know vibrato kind of a thing so I would be digging in as hard as I could dramatically kind of shaking it like that and but I was actually then when I started recording I saw that I was pulling it sharp when I was doing that. It's a lot easier to do that on a guitar, but you can do it on a bass, so don't don't clamp down too hard. Um, you know, work like Rob was just showing you work in a zone. You're working in the zone. Um, the other thing is um, play low most of the time. Now Rod's gonna talk in a minute here about when and where to play what and there are times to play up high and in the middle. Those times are there, but our sound man, Evan, our main sound man, his biggest frustration with bass players here is that they don't, they play too much up here. And I feel like up high, you know, maybe they're up near the 12th fret or the 10th fret. And I know that's probably because every bass player, you know, we're always in the background, we're playing below notes, we all want to be a guitar player, and so we're going to play some <laughs> solos up there. Um, but it, it really is, is not serving the music and especially the style we're doing and Evan will tell me and I and I've talked to a few of them when it's come up you know he's telling this person is always playing up there and I'll watch him I'll notice that's true and so I'm telling him stay down low you're the bass you're supposed to be the bottom end choose your moments and Rod will talk more about that when you can do something up high I love doing that I love playing playing up high but most of the time, we need to be playing down low. Rod, talk more about when and where to play. Yeah, so again, just going along with that, there are specific parts, and you'll hear it in modern worship nowadays. You hear specific parts of the verse, the chorus, what the bass is doing, how it's building, how it's attributing, contributing to the rhythm, how the rhythm is growing, how the intensity is growing in the music. So a lot of times, um, when we come in, like, like an intro, if we're coming in big, I'm, I'm probably going to be pretty low because there's probably going to be some sort of line or some sort of hook with that electric's doing. Um, acoustic's probably full on, rhythm's probably full on if we're doing like a big intro. So I'll probably be low, really giving it a drive. Um, 
know what the song is, but towards the verse, when it kind of comes down and it drops in, then, you know, I might slide up to, to you know, a note up here. And, and the verses are, we really want to try and be open with that. You don't, as a bass, you don't want to get in the way of what else is going on. You don't want to be a distraction. So a lot of times, you know, we'll play whole notes or we'll play half notes on uh, on verses and, you know, and then we'll kind of build as we're building intensity going into the pre-chorus. They maybe will, you know, we'll switch to, to quarters or something. Um, and then and then we'll go full eighth notes in the chorus or something back into it when it's big and when we're driving. Um, the song, uh, the song This I Know that even that we did today, that's, I feel like that's a really good song for um, they're a really good example for kind of how sonically everything is working. Um, the, the way we do it now is we have a lot of drums going on at, at, um, at the same time. And so what I do as, as a bass player when we're out playing this song is um, when we start with the intro, it's, it's kind of got this, this drum thing and then we're in. And so I'm kind of doing quarter notes. We're playing in the key of F. I'm kind of doing quarter notes just to give it a little bit of drive, but not too much. And then when we come into the for the verse, I think uh, most of the time I'm always doing whole notes just on the first verses, um, and then uh, and then when we go into the when we go into the, the oh no excuse me I'm doing half notes in the verses and then when we go into the chorus because I want it because it's such a big open chorus what I do is I just pull off and I just go to whole notes and I just let it ring out and let my bass ring out I play really low on that. let the vocal line take that. It's such a huge worship part anyways. So I want to just help it be big, um, not get in the way, not be flashy. At those at those times, it really doesn't need me going to full eighth notes or 16th notes even. So I just want it just to be big. Um, I really want to help people just get into the presence of the Lord and not be a distraction. Um, and then when we, get into, when we get into the second verse, I'm still kind of, you know, I'll build a little bit more. I might go to quarter notes there. And then, and then the second second chorus, I really come in on just whole notes again, just because I want it to be just this big part. And then we go into a solo, and I'm doing quarter notes there. And then we go and drop into the bridge. And so there, um, Matthew made a kind of this bass hook um, that he, he does it a little different than me. I kind of simplified what I do. Um, but he his is, uh, actually, I don't know what you do, Blaine. But I knew he's kind of got a slide up or. Yeah, it's right up. Yeah. you know be wailing on it but um so but bridges a lot of times are a good place where we can throw a line or a hook in there because it's building on something bridges will normally build and build and build and build and then explode into a chorus yeah especially here especially with what we do with desperation band and new life worship 
Bridges are a place where people can really focus in, hone in, and worship, and build and build and build, and, and you're just you're pressing into the Lord, you're pressing into the Lord, you're pressing into the Lord, and and through that, the music is really allowing you to do that. Um, so so a lot of times we'll we'll throw like a, a line or a hook in there in in the bridge progression. So so like for this, I know I'll do something in there, and I'll keep it pretty simple. But then when we jump, we're building on that, and then I'm kind of that's when I'll go to my eighth notes. And then once we go back into the chorus, that's the first time I break in to eighth notes on a chorus because that last one is really driving. Yeah. Um, so so that's it's more. You really have to be listening to everything that's going on. There's a, we've got a guitar solo in there, we've got a guitar line, we've got a guitar hook, we've got a vocal lines that are going. So there's a lot sonically, according to our pie chart, that is happening. Yes. So for bass, um, you really want to pull back. You want to know where you're needed and when where you're, you know, what's going to be essential, what's needed for each song. It would be cool if I could just, you know slap bass on that song but it's not it's not needed and also I don't really know how to slap that well so it wouldn't come out good but it's not it's not what the song needs so we really want to be intentional with what the song needs and, and really to help emphasize what is going on with worship yes but notice in his verbiage it's all all, all about supporting the song and helping people worship everything he's saying he alludes to that you can that's his approach that should be all of our approaches. How can, and, and that goes for every musician. It's not just for bass players, obviously, but we're supporting and we're trying, how can we help? He's, he's, he's cognizant of what's going on around him. Look, there's a guitar hook here, there's vocals doing this, and so he, he's, his brain is thinking of this 100% rule in the pie chart. And he's picking his moments when he can do something more technical, mm -hmm. and he can do it. Um, but he's he's not one of those people. Have you ever met those people that they in, in a group they do all the talking? They're talking all the time, and you, they drone on and on and on, and then you kind of check out. Whenever they talk, you check out. Have you guys ever known anybody like that? No, I have. What about the person who's really quiet that doesn't say anything, and then one time they finally say something? What does everybody do? They listen. It's like that person's saying something. So on bass, especially, we're playing, we're keeping it, we're keeping it real, we're simple, <laughs> and then we choose our mode. There's a moment where the, there's room in the pie chart, and we can throw in something. Mm -hmm. We do it, and people hear it, we said something special, and then we're right back down to mm -hmm. holding it down. Mm -hmm. That's the way it is, it's just like people in a conversation, the person who just throw something in every now and then people are going to listen to them. The other people doing it all the time, you get tired of them. It's just white noise. Yeah. It's like another farm book. Anybody saw Elf? Yeah. yeah. Another another farm book, just white noise. Okay, <laughs> so that's what it reminds me of. Okay. Um, be in tune. You know, I edited this slide. It used to say tune it or die. Well, that's how Rod would yeah, remember it. Yeah, it's yeah. a local church. We don't want to say things about killing people or anything like that. And so I don't think this needs further explanation other than if you have a tunable instrument, which a bass is, make sure it's in tune. I, I remember in, I, I was the youth worship leader here for about seven years. Uh, when John Egan originally came, he took over that position from me. And um, I kind of retired out of it. But I had one guy, and he, he just never had a tuner. So he'd always... You know, to his credit, though, he'd come and plug into mine, unplug me and plug into mine and, and tune. I finally said, um, you need to get your own tuner. You know, ask for it, 
for Christmas from your parents. And he did just that, and he got a tuner, and it's a lot better, but you really need to, to tune it, okay? Um, coming towards the end, we're in the home stretch here, um, talking about taste. Now, I put Sting up there. I think he's a great bass player, and he's got good taste, also a great singer, songwriter, um, multi-instrumentalist, um, but he, he's, he's been a big influence on me uh, growing up with bass playing. Um, probably one of the biggest ones. Um, he, he's from my era, and uh, you in in a local church worship setting, especially, it's important to be willing to sacrifice some of our personal preferences um, um, for the sake of the the style of team that you're on. And this is something I've run into. I'm bringing it up here. Um, we're all different ages in this room. I'm bringing it up here because. Um, People have come and they're they're not willing to play the style we're playing. Now it's not that they they would say I'm unwilling to play the style. It's just they're they're stuck in one style that they're used to, and they're not they're not paying enough attention to what we're doing to learn that style. I'm, if you join a worship team, you need to figure out what style they're playing. Make sure you're playing in it. Um, I want my playing always to be current. I'm 47 now, and I have a propensity to play, to morph back into the 80s. Um, that's kind of my era, and even some 70s stuff. And, but that doesn't fit with most of what we're doing. Once in a while, there's something like, you know, you know how stuff comes around. A lot of the 80s are coming back. I hear 80s in the music of today. It's not the same as it was back then, but, um, but if I just was left to my own devices, I would be playing the wrong style. It does, I mean, it's not that it was bad, but it just doesn't fit with what we're doing. And so I have to stay current, and I have, you know, for, for me that, that's older, I have to pay more attention to this than some of you younger people here. But um, we should always be doing that. Um, we, 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 we can't be closed off. We, we, we've got to be, just like we're talking about jazz and listening, and we've, we've got to be listening to what's going on around us. Are we fitting in that style? I remember. I used to, for years, I'd go out, you know, and lead worship in other churches that were not too far from here. Just, their churches in a and they needed someone to lead one week, I'd go do it. And I played with a variety of worship teams. I remember one time it was a, a guitar player, and all he did was country riffs the whole time. Now, believe it or not, I like country music, the more pop version of it, but it did not fit what he was doing. And I told him, can you... Can you play something different? Now, I'm careful. I'm a guest worship leader, so I'm not going to do too much in what I'm telling these people. I'm going to be nice, and I'm coming in on their turf. It's not my turf. And so, um, but I was trying to help him. And he said, yes, you're, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. And so then when we got to playing in the service, he was doing exactly what he was doing before. But at least he was probably trying. I don't know. But we, but I don't think he was aware. He was not aware. That I said, you're playing kind of country. And it was just, he wasn't playing any chords. It was all little riffs the whole time. And I was trying to help him. But he's, you could tell that he was very sincere and very nice and not arrogant. But he just didn't get it. He was not aware. We've got to stay aware. Um, um, I said stay current. You know, this again falls under the banner of humility and serving. Um, another thing I'll tell you is um, memorize your music. Rod will talk a little bit about how to do this, but it, it is a huge part in my book of leading worship. 
is memorizing your music. When you are glued to a page, you're not aware of what's going on around you. That's one side of it. Um, the other side is when you're glued to a page or looking down a lot, you're not very inspirational to watch. I want to be a worship musician who, when I'm playing, I'm exuding the joy of the Lord. You can tell that I'm connected. I want to be connected to the Lord and that be visible enough not to be showy or to think I'm holy or anything like that. But so people are inspired. Have you ever watched somebody who's playing in a worship team and they're, they're, they're not glued to anything, they're just connected to the Lord? What does it do? I know for me, it inspires me to worship. It helps me to engage. And memorizing music helps us do that. I had a guy here many years ago who I was mentoring and worship leading, and he he sang better than anybody here at the time and played better on guitar than anybody here at the time. But he was glued to his music. Now, he wouldn't use the music stand because we didn't use them. He just put it all on the floor. And he would lead worship with this beautiful voice and great timing, great technique, but he'd be looking down the whole time, and I would constantly tell him, you need to memorize your music. You would be such a better leader. But that goes for any instrument. And he would say, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. But he would never change. In probably the 10 years that he was here, he never changed. Um, so anyway, he's a great guy, though. So Rod, what, what's a, what are some tips that can help you, Yeah, help us? Help um, me help you. <laughs> so a lot of times, there's, so there's two bass players in Desperation Band. Um, there's myself and there's Danny, again, who's John's twin brother. Um, and so, so we basically share the, the, the role of, of bass player. So a lot of times, because I don't live in the Springs, um, I will get a set list maybe a couple days before Hey, we're gonna do these songs this trip. Hope you learn them. Good luck. <laughs> so I have I have to learn things kind of on the fly. Um, so they'll send me, you know, they'll send me a chart and they'll send me uh, an MP3 of the song that we're doing. A lot of times I will really try and learn them without the chart because I find that myself, if I look at the chart, then I will be glued to it and I I I'll have to I'll have to look at it. I'll have to really rely on it. So I really try and if I'm learning a new song. I'll listen to it and I'll kind of hear, okay, he does this here at the second verse, okay, he drops here, I'll listen to where they're playing as far as the neck, I'll listen to what octaves they're playing in, I'll kind of hear, okay, he's just doing whole notes there, he's just doing halves, okay, he's doing, you know, especially for this new record, um, that banner that's about to release, we did, Dan does a lot of really great stuff on it, um, so there was, a, there was a part that I was hearing um, that he was doing, he was doing tense on this part, but then it sounded like there was a second bass, and then I found out later that that our producer had kind of put a um, Ross Beck put a, a baritone bass on it, and and so so I was like having trouble figuring out like how is he doing this? He is an octopus if he's doing this. Like how is this even physically possible? So there was a time where I was like I have no idea how he's doing. So I just did it to my best, and then I heard the track when we were playing this weekend, and I was like that's how he's doing it. He's, it's okay. It's produced. So, so then that was like that was like such a relief to me. But so a lot of times what I really try to do, and this is helpful even just for Sunday morning music, like Felina was saying, we don't want to be tied to charts. We don't want to be tied to to sheet music. And and at the church that I'm at right now in, in New Mexico, um, our worship team is tied to charts, and they're I mean they are just everybody's so dependent on the chart. 
um, that it's hard for them to engage with the congregation. It's hard for them to see, to engage with the Lord. Um, so I would recommend just going, going through, listening to the, listening to the tune, and then playing with it. And yeah, you'll hit a, you'll hit a couple, you know, shankers here and there. But that's fine. You're rehearsing. You're, you're going through it, and you're practicing on your own. So that's fine. That's what, I, that's what my recommendation is. Yeah, and then also um, knowing the numbers. The, are yes. you familiar with the Nashville number system? If you're not, learn it. it. It's really helpful. It's been helpful to us because we've got a lot of songs that um, go either way in terms of if a guy's leading it or a female's leading it. So the keys are going to be different. And I'm the guy who makes the charts. Now Moose is doing it. Rod, when he was here, was making the charts. He actually would get the award, and he did, for the neatest charts I've ever seen probably in my life. Rod. Um, he, he did them. But we, we used to not use the number system. We used the format for national numbers in terms of four bars on a line and so forth. But we did not use um, the numbers themselves. Um, and so whenever we want to do a song in a different key, we'd have to make a new chart in the other key. Well, you learn the number system, um, and we've kind of made our musicians do that, and we make one chart for every new song that we're doing. You never have to write another one because you can play it in any key, but that helps you memorize. If you know um, the numbers of, of each key, um, then you have no problem memorizing. Then you start seeing like all these songs are almost the same. There are so many, especially in worship music, they're very similar. You know, there's the same as no money past the third fret. Well, I feel like that's sort of true in worship. And so if you know the numbers, it, you can transpose on the fly. Today, we did Strong God, and on the list, um, John was going to lead it. And he switched it to Gina that morning while we were standing up there. I'd never played that on the bass in, in G. Uh, I've never done that before. But because I know the numbers, I was able to just quickly transpose it and not really have to think about it. I'm going, okay, I'm in G. So here's the numbers. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a chart. It's just, it's just a lot easier. Mm -hmm. It was... A, a big help to me. Yeah. Um, we only got we got a few minutes. We got till four or four forty-five. Um, Rod, were you going to say you're talking about playing the song like the album? Let's see. I remember. Okay, I think you already said all that stuff. Okay, the number system. Okay, keep it simple. I've already touched on this. So has Rod. Um, I'd rather have a player who's too simple than too busy. Um, I, I, I just remember in the youth band days, I would, it was, I remember I'd get a guy, actually Rossback, he's talking about the producer who's producing our stuff now. He was my bass player at the very beginning. He was a little kid, he was this tall at the time. All he could play on bass was whole notes for the most part and a few half notes. But he was hitting the right notes, and I was fine with that. It's like, fine, he's a little kid, and he, but he could do it. He could hold it down. Um, I had another guy who played for a while, and he was you know, flashy. He could play a lot of stuff, but he was hitting a lot of wrong notes. And I'd take Rossback over that guy any day. Now Rossback is an amazing bass player. Um, I feel like he's surpassed me and many others. And um, But I would rather have somebody who's simple. Same with the drummer. I don't want fills, drum fills, all over the place. Mm -hmm. You know, wait four bars for the next one. Don't do one every two bars. So that's important. Rod talked about um, 
or every one bar. You know, eight, eight notes. Eight notes are a great thing to use. You, you play, play some more of those eight mm -hmm. notes. Yeah. Um, I even made a, wrote a song called Eight Notes. If you don't know what to play, if you have no idea what to play in any worship song, any speed, you can play eight notes. They'll work. Um, for a while, it seemed like that's all we ever did. Yeah. I'm glad now we're not doing that on every song all the time. But I remember that's when I wrote that song. It was out of frustration. I was <laughs> teaching a bass workshop in Singapore, and I'm playing, going, why do I always have to play eighth notes? And then I just started singing this song. It started to sound like a heavy metal song. I was screaming at the top of my lungs about, because I always had to play eighth notes. But it came from you, too. Um, that uh, Clayton would always play eighth notes. And so in worship, that was a cool thing. He had to have the dotted eighth delay on the electric guitar and bringing all that stuff in. So, so anyway, eighth notes are great. But like Rod was saying, whole, it's okay to play whole notes. Half notes, quarter notes, they all work great. Just occasional fills. Um, Rod, what you were talking about, what you hear. Mm -hmm. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, one of the biggest words of helpful advice that I ever got was, was really listen more than you play. Um, so listening, like Flynn was saying, staying current. Um, one of the biggest things, and a lot of times where I pull a lot of stuff for D-Band from, is I'm listening to other music and what, what stuff is doing. If any of you, I'm not trying to plug anything here, but this new Kimber album is insane. It is really good. And so I'm like, she's I'm listening insane. to it. Yeah, she really is. She's great. So like, I'm listening to the stuff that he's doing on there. And I could, you know, probably most of what he's doing, I would never use in worship, but it's helping me just to, worship, excuse me. But it's helping me just to become a better player um, and, a, and a better bass player and really listening and picking out parts. And I remember my dad was a bass player. Um, and um, so every time we were driving in the car, he would have me listen and he'd have me, okay, pick out the bass part. And when I was really little, I couldn't at all. I, I, I'd try and listen and listen and I couldn't, I couldn't pick it out. I couldn't pick it out. Now I feel like that's the only thing I pick out. And, um, and what's really cool is when you learn, I'm trying to associate it all here, but when you learn the Nashville system and you're listening to music, you start to hear, oh, that's a six, oh, it's a four, oh, it's a one, oh, it's a five. You're you listening to the radio and you can, yep. just hear, you can just call out the numbers. Yep. Yeah, and it's really cool because then it just helps you learn music, helps you associate everything a lot, a lot better, um, and it builds you as a, as a musician. You, yeah. you can go online if you don't know it. You can... There's so many tools online. Type in Nashville numbers, and it's yeah. But you're learning the intervals. Yeah. You know, you're basic. It's, it's very basic. Yeah. Um, if you know one four five, you can do a lot of the worship songs. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, any questions? Uh, back to what I said earlier, and what Rod just brought up again about listening and staying current. Um, I didn't say this earlier, but I feel like if more people would do that. Um, I'd have more friends my own age on stage. And it, hey, that's a good run. And I would like, I would like that. I love playing with yeah. all my young friends too. But I feel like there should be more people like me. So <laughs> anyway, um, thank you all for being here. Um, we're around. If you have any questions, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. We'll be here.